Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the very first episode of Real Talk. This episode is entitled Keep That Same Energy. Christian Twitter is currently under attack for being fake. We're being attacked for how easily we switch things up in the name of Christ. Is the modern disciple truly fake? Let's talk about it. I refuse to believe that this is my fate as a woman. This cannot be it. I was not born to be a trophy wife. I'm talking about growth. It's a measure of me versus me yesterday versus me two days ago. Not a measure of me versus you. We're trying to raise women that understand that they can be classy, they can be beautiful, they can be petty, they can be smart, they can be knowledgeable, they can be independent. We are a new generation of women. We are not conformed or confined by everything that society has placed out for us. We're breaking out of the mold and creating something new for ourselves. We are Sassy and Safe Baby. So y'all, the streets is calling us fake. I mean, what else is new? Anyone that has been a Christian for like 10 seconds knows that the world gets off on calling Christians fake. Recently, Christian Twitter is under attack for being severely fake within the church. Anyone that's familiar with Twitter at all knows that Twitter has these sort of subgroups. There's like black girl Twitter, where all the black girls come and it's like black girl magic and melanin power and all of that. And then there's like Toronto Twitter where all the Torontonians come and they talk their slang. You know how Torontonians talk and everything. I don't know if I, I'm considered a Torontonian anymore, but you know, hardly home, but always repping. Um, there, there's, there's subgroups on Twitter and one of the subgroups is Christian Twitter. And Christian Twitter is obviously composed of Christians around the world and we're constantly under attacked by all the other subgroups. I found it super interesting that Christian Twitter is attacking Christian Twitter. Like I've never seen groups attack internally except for black twitter where there's like light skin versus dark skin debates which is stupid but that's a that's a topic for another day but this is the first time i've seen christian twitter attack christian twitter and more and more um stories are coming up just about church hurt and different things like that and we know that these things exist and i know that we try to shy away and stay away from discussing things like this because it can be very sensitive and it can be, be very detrimental for faith and things like that but I think I, I find it extremely interesting that now more than ever when people are trying especially millennials are trying to grow in their faith and grow in their relationship with God um, the church is attacking the church in the way we do things and that is kind of the reason why I wanted to start Real Talk just so that we can address the issues we have in the church as a body so that we can obviously rectify those if we can obviously rectify those issues so that we can draw more souls in I mean the Bible tells us that a kingdom divided cannot stand. Jesus said it out of his own mouth. So if we are divided within the body, how can we how can we expect anybody else to be drawn to us? So that's how we sort of got into today's episode. Keep that same energy. And I, being a Christian for about four years now, well, I've been a Christian all my life, but a practicing Christian for about four years now, which yes, there is a difference. Um, I've noticed that there are instances where our behavior in the church can be seen or deemed as fake. Um, one of them would be the switch up between church friends and regular friends. So is the modern disciple truly fake? So let's talk about the switch up. First up, church friends. 
what are church friends? Hmm. Back in school, my undergrad, I'm still in school, but back in my undergrad, I had class friends. It started from high school actually, but it, it really manifested into its full potential in undergrad. I mean, you need class friends. First of all, undergrad classes are huge. They're like almost 200 people if you're not lucky. And the smallest it may get is probably like 50. So there's no way you can be cool with every single one of your classmates. But even I feel like in that sort of undergrad culture, it's not even a thing to be like cool with people. Like it's not high school where you're really talking to everybody. Like you don't need to, you come, you listen to the lecture and you're gone. Especially if you're at a commuter school, which I was for two years of my undergrad, where you live one place, like you don't live on campus, you live in a city, a neighboring city where your campus might be. So for me, it took me three hours to get to school every day. So after class, who am I staying to talk to? I have a three hour bus ride (laughs) to take until I started driving. So when you're in that sort of predicament, you're not really waiting after class for nobody. You're on that bus and you're going home, which means you don't have people watching your back when you're not in class because you ain't got friends. So you made class friends. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Don't try to play and act like you ain't have them. Class friends, people that you talk to in class, you get the notes from. If you know you have to do a group project or anything, it's automatically then, it's unspoken. They save you a seat in class, wherever they're sitting. Like they hold you down in class. But like when you see them on the ones in the hall, you may say hi or anything, but you're never gonna call them up and hang out with them or anything like that. Well, apparently it has moved to the church. I myself have not seen that because I go to a church where people are friends in and outside of the church but I see how that could be a problem I know that myself (laughs) when I first started this journey I had church friends I had people that I would talk to in church and those same people when I saw them outside of church whoa (laughs) you are not my friend I have my friends you are not my friend but recently it's becoming a problem more and more and some of the questions that I have received from young girls um around the world through by God's grace my blog sassy and saved is having difficulties fitting in within church. They find that when they come to church, they don't really know anybody. And even when they do begin to know people, the people that they're vulnerable with and that they begin to trust, it seems that their friendship ends when the service ends. And that's a problem because church already is so hard to become integrated to, especially when you're coming from the world and the places are so different. When you come into a place where you think that everybody should have your back, and that's the place that's causing you the most isolation. It sort of warps your view on what the point of the church is. And I've been friends with many people that I've talked to and I find that most of their hurt that they've had with friendships have been with their friendships in the church. For some reason, people find that once the service ends or once ministry ends or once the collaboration effort that they have to do the work of God ends, that's the end of their friendship. I think T.D. Jake said it best. He said there are three types of people. Well, three basic types of people that you will interact with if you are a child of destiny. And the first group is your confidant. Your confidant is people you have very few of. That's your inner circle. That's your Peter, James, and John. That's your homies. That's your role dogs. That's your Loretta, Caroline, and Eva. Hey! Um, That's your... Those are your... Those are your people. Those are the people that you tell everything to. They're your best friends. They're your confidants. Those are the people in the life that love you unconditionally. They love you enough to correct you. They love you enough to convict you. They will tell you when you're wrong. They're, they're not 
they're not going to gas your head. They're not going to be your yes mans. They're the people that are into you. Whether you're up, whether you're down, whether you're right, whether you're wrong, they are into you and they're in it for the long haul. You may have an off season, but they're not gone. They may have an off day, but they're not gone. They're in your corner. You get in trouble, they get in trouble too. You commit a murder, let's hide the body. Your confidants are people that you can open up with and share anything with without them judging you. You can't be a David without a Jonathan, but even more so, if we look at Jesus, he had so many followers, but he restricted certain things to just his three, his Peter, James, and John. And I'm sure they they would have saw him in a vulnerable state, a state that nobody else ever would have saw him in. Even when he went to Gethsemane to pray that he would have to have this cup pass him over, he isolated himself and did not even allow them to see him in that state. But the fact that he had even brought them so close and asked them to tarry with him one hour, there was a weariness he had for the season that he was entering and he asked his confidants to stand behind him and pray with him. I mean, like, I know that they fell asleep, but that doesn't defeat the purpose of what I'm saying. They're still his confidant. You need a confidant if you're going to survive in the kingdom. The world is wicked and this walk is a deadly game and you need people that you can confide in as your confidants. But like I said, well, like TD said, I'm not trying to take the credit, please. Um, there's three types of people. The confidant is the first one. The second is the constituents. They're not into you. They're into you for what you have. Those are the people that you may see at church that don't talk to you until you get a position, that don't know your name until you pop. Those are the people that are not interested until you launch your first podcast. (coughs) Those are the people that do their research about you and see what they can get. I'm into this person because I know that they're going to pop and I want to be attached to them when they do. They're into you for as long as what you have. They walk with you and they labor with you, but they're not there for you. They're there for themselves. They're there for what they can get. They're there to feed off of your popularity. They're there to ride on your anointing. They're there to ride on your oil. They're there to ride on your swag. They don't really have you in heart or in mind. What bothers you doesn't bother them. What offends you doesn't offend them. What concerns you doesn't concern them. They're just there for what they can use you for. Then there's the comrades. These people are not for you or for what you're for, they don't care. Like, they don't pretend. And I I feel like the comrades are almost like the realest type of people. I'm a realist, the podcast is called Real Talk. I feel like they're the realest people, obviously, except from the confidants. I feel like the comrades are really real because they're not for you and they don't pretend they're for you. They work together with you to achieve a common goal, but they don't even pretend like we're here. Like, I'm a realist, so I can appreciate that. Comrades are the type of people that you see in church. You guys come together and you lift chairs to, to make the sanctuary look pretty and then you walk away, you never talk again. That's a comrade and that's okay. And that's fine. I personally prefer that because why are we pretending for? But it's the constituents that you gotta be really careful of. I'm personally, I'm for that because I feel like, why are we pretending? Like, I respect that if we're gonna come together because we both love God and do the work for the church or for God and then keep it moving, then girl, you the one because we don't need to pretend that we don't have to act like we're best friends. We don't have to, we are comrades. I feel like a lot of the hurt and the fakeness that people experience with having church friends is from not being able to identify the three types of people. One of my pastors said it best and he said, the best way to guard your heart is to be able to identify your three, your 12, and your 70. It falls directly in line with what 
Mr. Jakes is saying. Did I just call him Mr. Jakes? It falls in line with directly with what TD Jakes is saying. I feel like a lot of times the church hurt or the fakeness people experience from church people or church friends comes from them not being able to identify as TD put it in these three categories, their confidants from their constituents, from their comrades. Like I said, your confidants are the people that are there for you. They are there for you. They're for what you're for and they're for you and with you till the end. Those are the people that you keep around. Those are the people that you can confide in and you know that these are the people that are with you and they're with you for you. Not because of what you have, not because of what you can do, just because of you. Your constituents are the people that you really need to be aware of because those people is fake. Those are the people that are just with you to ride on what you have and those people make it clear. And sometimes I know that it can be kind of hard because you feel like, oh, you're in church and everyone has the same listen not everybody has the same intentions don't do that be wise and discerning enough to understand some people are with you simply for what they can get they don't care about your passions they don't care about burdens they're not there because they have the same vision they haven't caught your spirit or anything that is in line with you they're simply there from what they can get from you and you need to be discerning enough to be able to identify these type of people and your comrades those are the realest of the bunch because they don't pretend for nobody it's like we both love god so we'll come together to do god's work but after that i need to talk to you because i'm not your friend and that's what it is i live my life as a comrade Honestly, everybody and their mother has called me stush in this life. A lot of people think I'm stuck up and I'm this and I'm that. But the thing is like, I'm simply just a realist. I'm not going to pretend to be your friend for not like, don't do that. Because at the end of the day, if I don't care about what you're doing or anything that has to do with you, I feel fake being constituent and acting like, oh, I'm here to support you when I'm not. If I know that you're launching into business and you're doing something and I'm not going to support you, I'm not going to post it. <laughs> and that's just me. If I know that you're going into something that I'm not going to utilize, if I know you're starting a YouTube channel and I'm not going to watch, I, you will never ever catch me promoting that YouTube channel. You will never ever catch me saying congratulations, my sister. And you may think that that's fake, but that's okay because I have a real problem with people acting like they're for you when they're not so I live my life as a comrade like I am the biggest comrade you will ever meet and you may feel like that's not Christian but God is still working on me and that's not your problem so thank you but that's how I live my life simply because I will not pretend for you that I'm for you if I'm not. Like, who are we pretending for? That's the thing. I've been asking that question for the last four years of this walk because I see a lot of people pretending. I'm just trying to figure out who we're doing it for. It can be Jesus. It can be me, so it must be for you. And I'm not gonna pretend for you. And it works so well for me because I don't get into these situations and I have never, like I said, I've never experienced the switch up between church friends. I've never had to deal with misinterpreting a type of friendship or relationship that I had in the church. I understand who my confidants are, I understand who my constituents are, and I understand who my comrades are. So when so when people say that the modern disciple is fake, I think it's not necessarily that the modern disciple is fake. So I'm gonna say that when it comes to the switch up with church friends, it's a negative. I don't think the modern disciple is fake. I think people are unable to, to properly discern. I think people need to be more discerning about who they invest relationships into and with next topic 12 o'clock christians now i tell you i could write a book on this one because i have been a direct victim of this type of behavior what is a 12 o'clock christian because the term already is kind of whack so let me explain it um there was a guest preacher that came to my church she's a nigerian preacher um you can probably find her on you can google her find her on youtube her name is reverend funke 
Felix Adejimo. If you can't spell it, I can't help you. Anyways, she came to my church and she preached a series of sermons that were crazy. But one of the things that really stood out to me that she said was 12 o'clock Christians. And she defined Christians as being that of on a clock. So if you picture a clock in your mind right now, you know, the 12 is at the top and then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, back to 12. So everybody knows what a clock looks like. Um, and she describes the types of Christians that we have. So there are the 12 o'clock Christians, which is when the when the hour is 12 o'clock with both the long hand and the short hand up at 12. And then there's the 6.30 Christians, which is when both the long hand and the short hand are at six. And then there's the six o'clock Christian where there is the short hand at six and the long hand at 12. And those three descriptions give us a basic criteria of how many Christians are. It's either they're 12 o'clock where they're too spiritual, 6.30 where they're not spiritual enough, or six o'clock, which is an even balance. And it's an even balance because the short hand is at six. So a short, a small part of them is in line with the world. So they're able to relate enough with people in the world. But the longer hand is at 12. So most of their attention and most of their focus is on the things of God and divinity. And I really feel like this is so important. That thing stuck with me till, till, till I'm telling you, I will pop kids and be telling them that analogy because it's so fire. Just a little bit of a backstory for why this is so significant to me. I come from a family of preachers, okay? In my family, everybody preaching. We have preachers everywhere. So naturally you would think that someone like me would pop out the womb ready to serve the Lord, but that was not the case. It wasn't until the age of 19 years old where I actually decided that I was gonna take on Christ and acknowledge this walk and walk with him for myself. And everybody in my family, everybody that I knew that was Christian was overdoing it. And I had seen them in their down moments. I seen them being normal and things like that, but everything was so... God, God, God. And it's like, okay, nice. But at the same time, can you allow me? I have been delivered, but I used to be obsessed, like crazy obsessed with J. Cole to the point where it was actually scary. But like I said, I've been delivered. And I just couldn't understand me following a God that loves me, but won't allow me to listen to J. Cole. It did not go in my head. It was not explained. And everybody that I saw was not listening to secular music and everybody that I saw was not doing anything that had to do with the world. It was either the church or the world. A huge distinction, a huge separation. And I said, that thing is not for me. And I, I almost have regret because I feel like now that I've come to follow, like it's been four years and anybody that knows me personally knows that I'm really, really passionate about the things of God. Like my favorite place in life is in the presence. I, I almost have regret because I feel like if I had gotten into the things of God so much sooner, it would have saved me so much wasted time. And I know the things of God are not with regret. It was all part of his plans and there were certain things that I need to go I needed to go through to get to where I am today. But like I I feel like I just wanna do more. I just wanna be more. I just wanna I feel like I I'm so, I'm so, like the things that I'm doing now could have been done years ago. I, I would be on to the next right now. Like I would be traveling and doing evangelism 
evangelism mission trips and bringing Bibles to people in remote countries and going to places like Thunder Bay with like 30,000 Bibles and just watching God move. Like those are, that's where I'm trying to be at. And I feel like I'm so confined in this place. So it's patience is something I'm learning as well, which you can probably tell from that little spiel. But one of the things, but like I said, one of the things that really pushed me away from the things of God was how unrelatable Christian people had this perfect life. And it's like, I never saw the transparency that we see today. I never saw people break down or actually say that, yes, I have this problem unless it was at an encounter. Like it wasn't them saying like, yo, you know, I'm really struggling right now with this, this, and this. It always had to be in sort of a formal documented setting or in a special place. And I just felt like y'all are fake. So this is why I identify so much with this argument that has been thrown against Christian. And I just want to say, I, I just want to drop a few nuggets comp- concerning this topic because when I finally um, committed to Christ and became a leader in my church and had people that were actually looking to me as a benchmark for their faith, uh, I'm, one of the promises that I made myself was that I would never, I would never become one of those Christians that were unrelatable. And I, and I believe in myself, I can say that to this day, I haven't conformed to that. I guess somebody else would be the better measure, but I, I will never, and I don't, and I still think I'm not, and I don't think I will ever be one of those Christians that are unrelatable because it pushed me away from God so much. Like I knew who God was. I had experienced his power and I really had the desire to get to know him, but I did not want to deal with the fakeness. And when we look at, and I know it can be difficult because, you know, the Bible tells us that especially when we start our journeys with Christ, that we're going through a purging process. We're supposed to rid ourselves of the old and become a new man. And it can can sometimes be overwhelming and confusing because you're not sure exactly of what it is that you're trying to rid. And even so, when you first come back from that encounter experience, or you first have an encounter with God, you are so free and so light and so overwhelmed with his goodness and the love that you experience. You just want to tell the world. And that seems to be the only thing that you can talk about. And we've all been there. I've been there too. We, We know what it's like. But I think there is a level of intentionality that Christians do need to implement of keeping themselves relatable. In so much as you're growing and you're getting to know the Lord and you're excited and eager to share your new life and your new man with everybody, there is a level of intentionality you need to maintain of relatability because you need to remember that at one time you were on the other side. And think about the things that kept you away for so long and try not to become them. When I look at biblical characters, the best example I can give is Peter. Peter was a hothead. I always say, I've been saying for so long that like Peter is the disciple that I relate to the most. He was a hothead. Like he goes from zero to 100 real quick. He cut off someone's ear. Don't talk about my Jesus. Don't play with us. He cut someone's ear straight off. <laughs> Jesus was like, why? <laughs> As the Holy Spirit worked through him, Peter emerged. Someone that was so fearful and so afraid emerged as probably I believe don't quote me the first disciple to actually save a large body of souls after Jesus's death and he would go on to write two letters that we read today 
that are fire. So what interests me so much about Peter is that um, some of us may or may not know that when God called him, they his purpose was to minister to the Jews. And the Jews were a classy type of people. They were like that. They were like the bougie type, what we would call bougie today. They were hip. They were knowledgeable. They were educated. They were all of that. And Peter was a fisherman. He ain't know nothing. Like the guy was broke down. He probably like he didn't. You know, come on. He. So even the fact that God would send him to Jew to the Jews is interesting. But again, podcast for another. But the fact that he was sent to the Jews, a type of people that is completely different from everything he's used to, and had to preach to them and teach them the word of God, you might think that he would adapt their behavior. Like, I'm just thinking if I was Peter and I'm sent to a bougie group of people and I know that, like, I know that I'm not going to make it, I might just try to fit in with those people. I might try to change the way I talk. I might try to change the way I act. I might try to be a little different to fit in with those type of people. But he didn't. He maintained his personality. All throughout the gospel, through everyone's version, we see that Peter maintained his personality and the Holy Spirit raised him to be a leader and he did so many things and he was called to minister to the Jews and he succeeded in that. But all through that, he maintained his personality. And that is the sort of relatability factor that we find because a lot of times people look to Christians and they say that we're not cool. (laughs) Like nobody wants to be a Christian because you're boring. And I can personally attest to that. Some people are boring. I have two moods, Afrobeat and gospel. And sometimes I want to listen to Afrobeats and sometimes I want to listen to gospel. It's not all the time that I want to listen to gospel. Like I remember that first stream of working out, I tried listening to gospel at the gym it is depressing okay you cannot listen to constant one running on the treadmill you can't breathe you need something that will amp you up you need a little bit of a pop and for me it's afro beats and for you it may be something else now the thing is once you allow the music that you're listening to to seep into your spirit seep into your heart and overturn everything you know about God to be true, it becomes a problem. But listening to the secular music itself, in the constraints, I repeat, in the constraints and parameters that you set out for yourself, I don't personally see it as a problem. And I relate with many people simply because of that, because I can talk your language. Or even Jesus, who was straight savage, especially in Mark, if you read those replies, that man had no brought up seat. His responses were sad. But they both maintained their personality as they allowed the Spirit of God to work through them. And I think that's so important because a lot of times people shy away from this thing because we're not relatable. And you look at places where millennials especially are turning their lives to Christ, the thing that is drawing them in most is the relatability factor. And if you're not aware, you should definitely do your research. You look at places like London, there is a stage for praise led by pastor obi there's millennials doing crazy like insane things and you just see the relatability the fact that people are so drawn in is because they can relate there's ex-gang members and ex-convicts and people there that are telling their testimonies and bringing people off the streets because they speak the same language and here in canada in my own backyard we see campus rush ministries led by Pastor Kofi Darte doing crazy things for God as well. People are turning their their lives and their hearts back to the source and being raised as leaders in their community and being sent back into the world, equipped and ready to face on the world with everything that they've learned. We see lives that are being transformed and raised as leaders in a matter of four years or less. And all these things are happening because people relate to the people that are there. They relate to the testimonies. They relate 
to the experiences, they relate to the leaders. And as disciples of Christ and leaders in our communities, I think the best way that we can spread out the gospel, whether it's online or in our own capacity, is through being relatable. It's so important to be earthly good. In so much as we are supposed to set our mind upon heaven, and that is still our goal, we can't bring anybody with us unless we talk their language. Paul said it best. To the Jews, he became like a Jew to win the Jews, and under the law, he became under the law to win those under the law. To the weak, he became weak to win the weak, and so on and so on. And you'll, and you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. You draw people by speaking their language. If you look at your life, the most most of your friends and the people that you interact with, you share things in common with them. And that's what drew you to them. And I feel like a lot of the problems that we're having as Christians is because we're unrelatable. So we need to make ourselves relatable. We need to be intentional about relating with. We need to be intentional about relating with unbelievers to make sure that we can win them. That's how we let our lives shine. That's how we let our light shine. Jesus, when he came, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees accused him of sitting with people that were unclean or unholy and that was his point yes because how else am I gonna win them if I don't chill with them if we set our minds to achieving and winning souls for the kingdom we need to be able to relate with people now let me just make something clear that does not mean go drink and go smoke as a Christian because you're trying to relate to the drinkers and smokers because I know some of y'all is childish all I'm saying is that Be relatable enough that though you stand affirm in your faith, that you are able to influence others to live a life acceptable to Christ through yours. One of the major tools into drawing souls for Christ. Christians, we gotta do better. We cannot continue to put up fronts about what our faith is. All of y'all know that this walk is hard. It's not easy. Sometimes you wanna give up. Sometimes you don't wanna read your Bible. Sometimes you don't wanna be nice. Sometimes you know you must act in spirit, but you let the flesh win because damn, somebody is pissing you off. And that's okay. That's what we have grace for. But be bold enough and confident enough in your faith to say that, to let people know that yes, sometimes I do fail that yes sometimes I do falter that yes sometimes I do flop but I know that Christ still loves me and even in the times that I do flop I take a step back reflect and see how I can be better the next day day this man cut off somebody's ear like huh how are you gonna be Jesus's disciple in his top three this man is pe- this man is preaching peace and love every day and you're carrying a knife first of all violation number two you're cutting off people's ear. No, 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 hold on. Let's backtrack. Where did Peter get the knife? So he was just holding the whole time when he was with Christ. Like, um, I know that it was the ancient days. Maybe what they did were like, you're walking with Christ, like the Christ, like the Jesus. It's not a counterfeit. And you just have a knife. You're just holding like that. Like you packing for what? Like what? Like how did, like what was you doing, Peter? Like, I just really want to know because. A lot of times, Christians, we fall into this blueprint or this framework or this schema of what we think Christianity ought to look like, but to the world, it looks fake, so we gotta stop it. Y'all, we gotta do better as a people. Keep that same energy. If you lit, stay lit. Just be lit for Christ. If you're funny, stay funny. Just be funny for Christ. If you talk, keep talking, but don't gossip. But just talk for Christ. Do everything that you do in the world, but do it for the Lord. Keep that same energy and people will be drawn to you. And don't be afraid to tell your testimony. Don't be afraid to talk about, don't be afraid to be transparent about how Christ has transformed you. It's important to understand 
that everything we go through is for his glory. So we stand as trophies of his glory. Trophies are not meant to be hidden. They should be out. They should be polished. They should be on top, on the top shelf, shining for everybody to ask, what did you win that for? Be that type of Christian. Keep that same energy and let people know who you truly are. And I bet you they won't be talking about us being fake. So those were the top two arguments. And I think we're doing pretty good for this first episode. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything to add regarding those two topics, please don't forget to tweet me with the hashtag church friends or 12 o'clock Christians on my Twitter in the description box. And you might get a shout out in the next episode. Now, let me just make something painfully clear. What the church needs today is a zaddy anointed. It is not a sin to be sexy. Wait, hold on. Backtrack. I know y'all gonna come for me. Backtrack. You know what? I'm gonna take that back. Honestly, myself, Teresa, the only thing I want from safe guys is the sexiness guys in the world have. I mean, like, tell me I look like a snack. Lick your lips when you're talking to me. Whisper in my ear when we hug. It's not a sin. You are a sexual being. It becomes a sin when it controls you and it's acted upon, but you are a sexual being. There's parameters in which you need to set of course, based on your abilities. I, myself, don't necessarily struggle with less like that, so that might be okay for me. But I understand it's not okay for everybody because some people do struggle with less and it's gonna take them over the edge. And in those situations, I am not gonna force you. I'm not here to make you fall, my brother, please. I'm just saying, just be a little, you know, mm, a zaddy. <laughs> what is a zaddy? A zaddy is a man that is fine as hell, that holds you down, that keeps it together, that has your back, that stands up. And when he stands up, everybody knows that that's you. That's, that's, that's Zaddy. Zaddy anointed is a man that is overflowing in revelation, that can lift his voice in worship and make the angels jealous, yet is still a Zaddy. Will still hold you down. Will still be fine as hell, swaggy as hell, confident as hell, and a boss. Zaddy anointed is the man that has a Damascus experience. He met God, encountered God in a crazy way, and he stands there and he tells everybody about it. Zaddy anointed is the one that makes you want to follow Christ. He's the leader. He's the lion. He's the king. He's the king of the jungle. Zaddy anointed is the Ephesians 5 man. He washes his woman with the word. Yes, he does. He's a leader, a strong leader. He's submitted to the Lord, but he's a zaddy. Raise your hand if you need a zaddy anointed. My hand is up. You don't come by a zaddy. Zaddy anointed is the man that covers you that supports you, that pushes you towards death. He's the man that makes sure that your dreams and aspirations are covered, that your insecurities are covered, yet he still corrects you and pushes you to be better while still maintaining his zaddiness. Keep that same energy. Please don't flip. Ladies and gentlemen, that is zaddy anointed. We all need a zaddy anointed. Don't play yourself and think that you don't. And if you're a man, you need to become a Zaddy anointed. The world needs Zaddy anointed. They're a rare species. They're endangered, in fact. Come back at God. Where are you? Bring them back. The world needs Zaddy anointed. Now, for me, I'm very passionate about this simply because, I mean, like, most of us that are, are currently saved were in the world before. And a lot of y'all guys, y'all know that, guys. They start, they start the game way earlier than girls, like us little girls in our little church skirts and our little dresses we're just you know doing school and guys are already way ahead thinking about what they think about and doing what they do and i know in the world and even with my friends we always have this debate about how guys can get any girl and this is just guys in general not church guys or anything just guys in general and a guy that is not necessarily attractive can get a very attractive girl but a girl that is not attractive could not get an attractive guy 
if that makes sense. There's a double standard when it comes to attractiveness in relationships because simply because of their personalities or their charisma or the way they talk. Now, my problem is if you was in the world being a zaddy to get girls, how is it that in the church you're neglecting that zaddy? Like, where did it go? I don't, I know you've been saved, so there's certain things that you can't say, but like, keep that same energy. Show me your zaddiness. Be a zaddy. It's not a sin to tell me that I look like a snack. It's not a sin to big me up. It's not a sin to make me feel like I am the prettiest person in the room. I probably am, but like, can you say it? I mean, I need that sexiness. If it takes you to another level, then please don't do it. I ain't trying to, t- I ain't trying to go to hell and I ain't trying to send you there. But if you know you can handle it, like every once in a while, come on, big your girl up. Why not? I mean, why not, right? And please don't get me wrong. It's not even an insecurity thing. It's just that, you know, the church loves to play that brother, and bro and sis, that brother and sister thing. Keep calling yourself brother, brother, brother. But then don't you want to turn around and be like, oh, let's see if we can take this to the next level. No, we can't. You're my brother. Like, you want to show me brother, 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 I'm going to see you like a brother. So if you want to distinguish that, and here's a free pointer, wink, wink. If you want to distinguish that line between brother and brother, then be a zaddy. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I myself find it so hard to deal with guys in the church. Like I can't, like I just look at guys in the church and I'm like, nope, nah, not for me. Because I just, guys in the world just, they just so swaggy. Like they just make you feel like, damn, like this nigga sweating me. Guys in the church are so awkward. Like they can be so dorky. They can be so, and I'm really not trying to come for church guys. Like I really respect you. The fact that you have committed to following Christ and denying your flesh and yourself of all the worldly pleasures that men enjoy is so admirable. But like keep that same energy. Like where does it go? That's the thing I do not understand for the life of me. Where does it go? Because I know some personally and I know, and I've seen you Mecking on or trying to get girls, but then when you come into the church, all of a sudden it's gone. Like, <laughs> who asked you? Obviously, there's certain boundaries and there's certain areas you cannot go, but please keep that same energy because it's not cute. It is not cute, ladies. Do y'all feel me? If you feel me, please tweet me with the hashtag Zaddy Anointed and let's let these niggas know. Maybe if they see it on the timeline, they'll believe it. Who am I? Who am I? Let's band together. Can we start a petition, y'all? Can we petition for this? Because it's not gonna work for me like I've been praying and praying asking God that please Lord if you love me let him be a zaddy and I know that God gonna answer me because we have that relationship but if you want that for yourself send me a tweet and let me retweet it and let these niggas know what we want it's time we stand together and stand up for what we want and what we believe in go So y'all, just like that, we have come to the end of the very first episode of Real Talk. Now, I'm gonna need y'all to cut me some slack as I sort out the kinks. I know this isn't the best quality and the best version, and I probably made a lot of mistakes because if you haven't noticed, I do talk pretty fast and I have a bit of a list. I tend to slur my words, so it's really challenging for me to make sure I'm enunciating everything so y'all can hear properly. However, God did it and we got to the end. One thing I'm gonna ask that if you are feeling the podcast so far, like comment subscribe and share it's not gonna kill you share it to your page post it on your instagram retweet it on twitter post it on facebook tell a friend to tell a friend send a text message screenshot to somebody and leave a review for your girl 
so that the world can hear about real talk. Let's talk about all the things. Like I said, this is the first episode and I want to thank you all for tuning in. Give me some time to smooth over the kinks and next week I promise you bigger and better, a brand new topic. Tune in to my socials to find out what it is. All of them will be linked in the description box. If you have any feedback for me, email me, send me a tweet, or message me on Instagram and let me know what needs to be changed or what can be added. Questions or interesting things to add, let me know. It's Real Talk. Sassy and Save Baby. Sassy and Save Baby.